This is where I find out if anyone cares what I have to say or not. Wouldn't that be awkward if everyone just carried on talking for the rest of the time? That would be awkward. Morning. It's so good to see you. Welcome. Welcome to East. My name's Jenny. Uh, married to Simon, we lead this community and um, I'm just always so grateful that people turn up to do this with us because this would be a lonely place if none of you were here but this is family, this is our church community and it's so valuable so I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. I hope you feel at home if you're new here, I hope you really feel at home here this morning. We are in a series called The Joy Revolution as Simon has already said and it's been a cool journey. It's in the book of Philippians, that was tricky to say right then, a book called Philippians which is a letter written by Paul to a group of Christians who lived in Philippi and I'm going to just begin this morning by reading the passage that we're looking at today, it's um, Philippians 4 verses 4 to 9, if you don't have a Bible that's all good, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's just pray before we go any further, shall we? Father, I want to thank you so much for the Bible, for your word written to help us to live live out our lives following Jesus. I want to pray this morning that you would speak to us. I pray right now that, Holy Spirit, you would prepare each one of our hearts, that you would tune our ears in to what you would say to each one of us. Thank you, God, that you want to see us walking in freedom, walking in truth. Um, following Jesus with everything that we have. And so I pray that you would make every one of us just a little bit more like Jesus today. Would you transform us? I pray now, would you soften our hearts, open our ears? Would you equip me to share what you've laid on my heart? And I pray that you'd move powerfully in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So the tagline to this series, The Joy Revolution, was um, redefining the pursuit of happiness. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if I know a person that's not in pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happy, don't we? Deep down, we all want to know happiness. But when people pursue happiness, when we pursue happiness, often what we're pursuing is comfort or fun, or freedom from difficulty and pain. We're pursuing relationships and circumstances that will give us what we want and what we need because that's what makes us happy, isn't it? And the crazy thing, I think, about this letter that was written thousands of years ago is it is addressing the same things that we struggle with today. Lots has changed, but in many ways, nothing has changed. 
And Paul suggests throughout this letter that rather than pursuing happiness, which comes when the circumstances are right, that it's actually possible to experience joy even when the circumstances are not good. In fact, in James it says that followers of Jesus should even consider trials a joy. That's kind of a backwards view as opposed to our pursuit of happiness, hey? So joy feels a lot like happiness, though. In fact, when you look up the definition of joy, it it says it's a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. So joy includes this feeling of happiness, but joy is fundamentally different to happiness. And Simon mentioned this um, a couple of weeks ago, that the word happy is linked to the word haphazard. There's little... too many pages. There's little that is dependable or certain about happiness. Happiness is very fleeting. It can be snatched away as quickly as it can come. But a couple of weeks ago, we reached what Simon described in the book of Philippians as the pinnacle of joy. And he described it as this. He said, our greatest and most enduring source of joy is Jesus. So the joy that Paul has been talking about through Philippians is much less flaky than this concept of happiness because the source of it is Jesus. What hope we have. And you know, Paul is well qualified to talk on this subject. Paul is under arrest as he writes this letter. And I don't know if you know, I learnt this, I didn't know this before I did this research, but the Romans didn't sentence people to prison. They simply held them in custody awaiting judgment. And so Paul, as he wrote this letter, it was unlikely that he was sat in a prison cell, but he was under arrest waiting judgment. And there was a distinct possibility that the judgment on him would result in death. There was a distinct possibility that that would be the outcome of this waiting period. Wow. So don't we just sit up and pay attention as we listen to this guy who wrote a letter about joy as he awaited his fate. He also lists some of his other hardships in one of the, another letter that he wrote to a group of people in Corinth. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. Listen to this. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked." Wow, he's had a rough run, hasn't he? And yet if Paul can write this letter saying that he can experience joy throughout all of that, 
then I am certain as I stand here this morning that whatever circumstances you or I find ourselves in, that this joy he is talking about is available to you and I. You see, the thing is, when I think about the people I know, especially people who don't know Jesus, I don't know many people who are experiencing joy despite difficult circumstances. And I think it's more common in the church to find people who would describe this experience of joy despite difficult circumstances, but it's still not as common as I think it should be when you listen to what Paul is talking about in this book, in this letter. And so I'm excited about this passage because I know every one of us experiences difficult times. Things don't go our way all the time. And so I'm excited about what this has to say to us, about how we can experience this joy that Paul is talking about. If you were listening carefully when I read the passage just before, you might be wondering how this talk is linked to joy because it didn't talk a whole lot about joy. It started... um, with the words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say it again, rejoice. And rejoice just means to express joy. But the rest of the passage, it didn't mention joy once. It didn't talk about it because the focus moved on to peace. And it got me thinking, like, what is the link here? What's the link between peace and joy? And it made me think, wow, actually, if I don't know peace inside real peace in my heart and mind it's difficult to know joy isn't it it's really difficult to experience joy if I'm not at peace Um, there's a theological dictionary called Mounts's expository dictionary I was looking up the definition of peace and it says that peace is a state of being that lacks nothing and has no fear of being troubled in its tranquility It is euphoria coupled with security. It's tricky to get your head around, but some of the words in there, they're so secure, aren't they? They're so grounded, so sure, so certain that peace is this state of being that nothing can rock, nothing can move. But the opposite of peace is things like anxiety and turmoil and fear and apprehensiveness and dread. And so if our hearts and minds are dominated by those things, we don't have peace. We don't know this peace that's described here. And, um, and when peace is absent, then joy is absent. And so I think as we study this in this joy revolution, I think peace is a crucial part of the puzzle. I think peace and joy go hand in hand. I was asking Simon last night, what's another great pairing like peace and joy? You know, like fish and chips. That's what peace and joy are like. But Simon's suggestion was peas and carrots, like in Forrest Gump. But you see what I'm saying? Like peace and joy go hand in hand. And so the fact that we're looking at peace this morning doesn't, don't worry, don't think, but I thought we were meant to be on the joy revolution. Like peace is fundamental to experiencing joy. I heard a story recently about a strange phenomenon that is happening at the Louvre Museum in Paris. Has anyone ever been to the Louvre Museum? A couple of cultured people here. Simon and I have stood outside the Louvre Museum. I'm not sure why we didn't go in. But if you don't know, it's the largest art museum in the world, and it houses one of the most famous pieces of art in the world, the Mona Lisa. 
The strange phenomenon is this, that in recent years, the thousands of visitors that line up each day to visit the Mona Lisa, when they finally get in to see this incredible masterpiece, they do so with their backs to her. And I read this article in The Guardian that explains why. So there you are, having worked your way through a crowd, standing in front of your prize, the Mona Lisa in the Louvre. What do you do? Look more closely at that enigmatic smile. Wonder at the subtle what does that even say? gradations of light and shadow in Leonardo's rendering of the face. Admire the illusion of depth. No, of course not. You turn your back on the painting, whip out your phone and take a selfie, and then you move on to your next prize. Those thousands of visitors have their backs to the Mona Lisa because they're taking selfies. And where people once stood and examined and took in this incredible piece of art, now they whip out their phones and in a strategic small corner of the frame, you find one of Western art's greatest achievements. And front and center, you find me or him or whoever it is that's taken the picture. But I think today's passage speaks to that phenomenon, not taking selfies. I don't think it speaks to that, but this tendency that we have to want to put ourselves in the center of the frame. So remember this picture as we go through this passage. I realized personally what this can look like this week. For me, um, I began preparing this message before we went to America, so weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And when we came back, I found it really hard to pick up where I'd left off. Um, my thoughts were disconnected, and I've really struggled pulling this message together. And Thursday morning, the thought occurred to me, maybe I should fast today. And I was like, whoa, I hate fasting. <laughs> that idea has definitely not come from me. But these are the responses that went through my mind, and you'll laugh at them, but please be kind to me. I'm being vulnerable here. This is my first res response. What if my motivation is wrong? What if I just actually want to lose my holiday weight? And then I thought, I don't want to give my girls a complex about eating and start thinking that they should skip meals. And then I thought, and I need to prepare my message today and I'm not very good at concentrating when I'm hungry, so I don't think this is a smart decision. And then I thought, well, I guess it would save me some time as I wouldn't have to make my breakfast or my lunch. And it's so ironic because the point of fasting is to humble yourself. The point of fasting is it's an act of making God the most important thing. It's denying myself to make him the most important thing. Fasting is a good thing, and I think my responses were a demonstration of how we can be taking Mona Lisa selfies as we try and follow Jesus. I'd made, my, I'd made it all about me, and it was never meant to be about me. There's a picture in the next slide of something that came up on Instagram this week. It says, worry is worshipping the problem. And I realized, wow, it doesn't even have to be me at the center of the frame. It can be anything in my life. 
if I put it at the center of the frame, actually I've got the wrong thing there. It could be my sickness or my job situation or my relationship or my sense of purpose or my debt or it could be fill in the blanks, anything in your life. If it's at the center of the frame instead of Jesus, it's a problem. And I think that's why the passage about attaining peace starts with rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, because Jesus is where peace begins. You know, I find my joy in the Lord because he is the reason I am righteous. If you don't know what the word righteous means, it's just um, the condition that makes me acceptable to God. For you, the condition that makes you acceptable to God is your righteousness. We get that from Jesus And we've talked about that a lot the last couple of weeks. I don't have to try and muster something up to be good enough. I find that in Jesus. And so he needs to be my starting point. Jesus achieved the highest form of peace for us in dying on the cross, in purchasing our salvation, in paying the price for sin, in taking the punishment so that we could be found um, innocent, so that we could be accepted It's that place where he made a way for ultimate peace. The ultimate absence of conflict and unrest. And so he has to be the starting point. And so my big idea for today that we're going to cover in the next 12 minutes and 38 seconds is when we make Jesus the center of the picture, we find peace which unlocks joy. And I want to I unpack th- this idea of Jesus being the center because I think it's banded around a lot amongst Christians and in churches. We sing songs about it. We talk about it. I know I pray it often. Jesus, would you be the center? I need you to be the center. I want you to be the center. And, but I wonder how many of us know, but how do you actually do that? What, what do I do to make Jesus the center of my life? Do I need to put a shrine up to him? Do I need to read my Bible every moment of the day? Do I need to pray all the time? Like, what does it mean? And I think the passage today speaks to it really practically. There was um, on Facebook this week a, a quote from Craig Grishel, and it was just funny that it happened to come up this week, or it might be just because the Facebook world knows everything you're thinking. But he said, there's a big difference between calling yourself a Christian and being Christ-centered. And I thought, wow, yeah. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be Christ-centered? How do we do this? So let's look at what Paul says in today's passage. I think he talks to three things that we can do to make Jesus the center. The first thing he talks to is our speech, but not our speech in general. He particularly is talking about our speech with regards to prayer. In verse 6 he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I'm glad here that it's Paul writing this letter because my first reaction is when he says, do not be anxious about anything, I think, do you even know what it is to be anxious? You can't just tell someone, don't be anxious. It's not as easy as that. Otherwise, none of us would be anxious. And then I remember, ha, yeah, Paul knows what it's like to face hardship. And from that place, he's able to say, do not be anxious about anything. And here's his antidote to anxiety. It's prayer. 
Prayer is just directing your speech to God. That's all prayer is, directing your speech towards God. So if anxiety is the thief of joy, which I think it is, and it comes from focusing often on our circumstances with us right at the center of it, I think anxiety is a great picture of that kind of Mona Lisa selfie. Anxiety is when we're right in the center with our circumstances surrounding us, all the focus is on that. But what prayer does is it brings God right into the center. It focuses everything on him and it puts our circumstances and ourselves in the right context. So what does he say about prayer? Well, firstly, he says, do it in every situation. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, oh, God wouldn't be interested in that. Or even subconsciously, I think God wouldn't be interested in that. Well, Paul says pray in every situation. Maybe sometimes you think, well, I've got myself into this mess, so I need to get myself out of it. God's not going to rescue me. Pray in every situation. Or maybe you think, well, I can do this by myself. I don't need to bother God with it. Pray in every situation. That's the first thing that Paul says. The second thing he says is by prayer and petition. I love the two words here together. Prayer, I already said, it's just speech directed to God. Petition, this word that's translated as petition, it's a, it's a word that is about communicating a need or a want. And it's not, it's not um, isolated to God. In the Greek, this was a word that, you know, if I needed to ask Simon for something, this, this is the word that it would be. It's communicating a need. But I love how it goes together with prayer because it's not just communicating my needs or my wants to any old person or even to moan about it to myself. It's this concept of communicating it to God. That's the key here. And so how good are you at telling God specifically what you need? Or are you anything like me where we get a bit waffly when it comes to our tricky situations? I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself praying, oh God, this is really hard. It would be awesome if you could just help me out in any way. Just any way. I don't mind like your will, not my will. Just, just if you could do something. But if you don't do anything, that's all good too. You know, we get real waffly with our prayers, don't we? And I felt really challenged as I was preparing this. Actually, this prayer and petition, it's talking about expressing our wants and our needs to God. You know, when you listen to a child expressing their wants and needs to parents, there's no waffly about it. They know exactly what they want and they ask for it. And I think, wow, we need to be more like that, don't we? How often do we say to God, actually, this is what I need? specifically would you do it because then we give space for God to be glorified as a result don't we when he does provide exactly what we've asked for the other thing he says about prayer is to do it with thanksgiving and I love this part because it shows that prayer isn't just a tick the box exercise that actually when we come to prayer we should come with an expectation that God is going to do something You know, thanksgiving comes because you're grateful for what someone has done or what they're going to do. And I think, wow, do I come to prayer with that attitude of expectation and thankfulness for what God is going to do? And I was challenged about this because I thought, but I even have that when I email someone. 
You know, if you're at work and you email someone, dear so-and-so, I'm working on this issue, but what I really need from you to be able to complete it is to send me the following information or to do this thing. And then I say, thanks so much for your help, Jenny. There's no doubt in my mind they're going to help me. I've sent them a request and they're going to do it. And so I, th I say thank you and I think, wow, we could learn from that, couldn't we? If only we came to God with that kind of expectation, that kind of anticipation that he's a good, good father and he has good things for you. And so I think Paul is saying that when you put, when you put your speech towards God in that way, that actually that's the way we make Jesus the center of the picture in our lives. The second thing, the second way we can put Jesus in the center of the picture is in our thoughts. And Paul has this big long list in here. Um, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And this is an interesting phrase, think about such things. It's more than just... Um, well, it's more than just what you would think. Think about such things. It just sounds like quite easy, doesn't it? Just think about them. This phrase is really talking about taking into account, reflecting on them, and then allowing them to shape your conduct. This is a deep phrase. It's a holistic phrase. It's focusing your thoughts on these things and allowing them to affect your life, allowing them to flood your heart and your mind and to change your perspective to shape your conduct. And I love it in Isaiah 58, 55, sorry, verses 8 to 9, it says about God, or God speaking about himself, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if we can set our thoughts on these good godly things, it lifts our attention from ourselves, it lifts our attention from our circumstances, and it lifts our attention onto God and the things of God. And so it's a super practical way of making Jesus the center. It's fixing our thoughts on these things that Paul lists. And the final thing he talks about is our actions. We can put Jesus in the center of the picture with our actions. And I think so often is the case in these New Testament letters. It's the, it's the Hebrew way of understanding things, that it's impossible to fully believe something if we don't follow it through into action. The two go hand in hand. And so he's just following this up. You know, if you're setting your thoughts on these things, that it's going to work out into action. It's going to make a difference in the way that you're living your life. And the, the thing that he focuses on is this um, putting into practice what you have received or heard from or seen in from Paul. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And I noticed as I read that, that learned or received, it's kind of talking to your mind. Whatever you've heard from me, it's talking to your ears. And whatever you've seen in me, it's what comes in through your eyes. And Simon talked about this last week, you know, it's good for us to surround ourselves with people who are following Jesus, who are living in a godly way, because we can learn from those people. 
And as we put those things into action, as we, as we put the things we hear, as we hear the Bible being taught and opened, as we put those things into action, as we read our Bibles on our own at home and we learn from it, as we put those things into action, that's a way we can put Jesus in the center of our lives. And the outcome, the outcome that he talks about twice in this passage is God's peace like I said before peace is a state of being that lacks nothing and has no fear of being troubled in its tranquility it is euphoria coupled with security if we make Jesus the center in these ways he promises us peace and he describes that peace in three ways the first way he describes it is it transcends understanding Sometimes the peace that God puts inside of us doesn't make sense. We were talking to Simon's parents on Skype on Saturday and his mum was describing this picture that someone had painted. They were asked to paint a picture of peace. And what they'd drawn was this raging waterfall coming down the side of this ravine. This raging, powerful waterfall. And then a tree sticking out of the rock, growing out of the rock. But on the branches of the tree was a nest, and in the nest was a bird. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's a picture of peace, isn't it? This peace that transcends understanding, that defies our circumstances, and the situations we find ourselves in, this is the peace that God is promising us if we put Jesus in the center of the frame. The second way he talks about it is he says it will guard our hearts and minds. That word guard, it's a military word. He's literally saying like a military army, the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And our hearts and minds are the organ of anxiety, aren't they? They're the the organ of worry. That's the place that that stuff happens. And yet he's saying, if we put Jesus at the center, God's peace will guard our hearts and minds, literally like an army, will stand there and fight off worry and fret and anxiety and fear. And then the third thing he says is, the God of peace will be with you. I love that. The very source of peace is with me. That's our promise here. What's better than going to an incredible restaurant? It's living with the chef. Because you don't have to wait for when you go. You have access all the time. That's what this is. It's not like God just gives us a drop of peace here and there when he remembers He says, the God of peace is with you. We have access in every moment to this peace when we have Jesus at the center of our lives. And so I think what we've discovered today in this Joy Revolution series as we seek to redefine this pursuit of happiness, which we've learned is shaky at best, Actually, we can find joy, and the way we can find joy is we can put Jesus at the center, and that will bring peace into our lives, which unlocks joy. If we want to find peace, we need to be conscious of the Mona Lisa selfies that we're taking, where we put Jesus in a neat corner, 
and we put ourselves front and centre that I know can work out in so many ways in our lives and hopefully right now for you, you know the place that God is challenging you on. So I want to leave us with this challenge that we would put Jesus firmly in the centre of the frame in those ways with our speech and prayer, with our thoughts and with our actions. But like I said earlier, the the ultimate piece, the kind of the, um, the most important part of this whole message is that God secured the ultimate peace for us in Jesus, that the ultimate peace is this um, right relationship between us and God, this way to be made acceptable to God, to be forgiven, to be made right, not through anything that we can do of ourselves, but because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And so I want us to respond, but the first thing I want to give an opportunity for is for anyone in here who hasn't done that who hasn't said yes to Jesus as their saviour and as their Lord. And so anyone in here who doesn't know that peace, that peace of being made right with God. And so let's close our eyes and we're going to begin with that response. And then we're going to move on to a couple of other responses, but we're going to begin with that response and maybe Johnny come up. So if that's you today, if you haven't yet said yes to following Jesus, you haven't yet accepted the gift of salvation, you haven't yet made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, you can do it in your head, in your heart. Father, I thank you that you love me so much that you wouldn't leave me where I am, separate from you. But you sent your only son who lived a perfect life so that he could die in my place. And then you didn't leave him dead, but you rose him again from the dead. I thank you that you did that for me. And in this moment, I want to say, I accept that. I accept the salvation that you offer me through Jesus. I want to say I believe in Jesus and I want to make him the Lord of my life. And I want to follow him. I'm sorry for the way I've lived without you. But from now on, I want to give my life to you. I want to live following you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I put my life in your hands today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love to give you a pack. We call them an I said yes pack. But come and just tap me on the shoulder at the end and I'd love to give you one of those. But I want us to respond. I know many people in here have already done that, have already said yes to salvation, have already made Jesus the Lord of your life, and yet you're sat here today knowing, I don't know that peace fully. The situations and circumstances that are causing turmoil and are causing anxiety and are causing fear. And I want us, as we as we finish our service to to respond to that. And so let's begin by standing. And I just, as you stand, would you just close your eyes and would you just be conscious of what it is that the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart this morning. And I want us to end by worshipping because we've talked, this whole message today has been about putting Jesus at the centre. And so I want to end by us doing that with our words and with our thoughts and with our hearts in worship. 
But I want to encourage you just to think this morning about what is it that the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart? Is it to do with prayer? Is it to do with making Jesus the center by bringing your requests to God, maybe more often or more specifically or with thanksgiving? Or maybe it's catching your thoughts and setting them on the things of God. Or maybe you know it's with your actions that you need to begin living out this belief that you have. And I wonder if you could just, I don't know if you like doing this, this might feel weird to you, but I find it really helpful to kind of symbolically offer offer stuff up to God. And so I want to encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is stirring something in your heart this morning, maybe just hold your hands out towards him as a, as a way of showing, yeah, God, I've heard you and I want to offer this to you this morning. And as you do that, I'm going to pray for us. And so if you've got something on your heart, something that you are responding to God for this morning, just hold your hands out. And I'm going to just pray for us. God, I thank you for the truth and the security that is in your word. I thank you that this book that's so old could bring helpful and practical truth into our lives today. And I thank you, Father, that you see every person's heart in this room. You see all of those who have their hands out to you now. You see what it is they're offering to you. You know what it is because you're the one stirring their hearts. And I just want to stand with them today and pray, Amen. God, would you, would you do whatever it is that they're crying out to you right now? Would you strengthen them as they respond to this? Holy Spirit, would you cause these words that we've heard today to cement into our lives, to work themselves out that we would follow Jesus? more wholeheartedly but more than anything that we would know the peace of God that transcends understanding that it would guard our hearts and minds and that we would we would know what it is to live with the God of peace in our lives we commit ourselves to you today in Jesus name amen